This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We are back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and this will be the final study of our 2 Thessalonians series. So 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Uh, so as Paul is saying his final words here to the Thessalonians in this letter, you're going to find requests for prayers like this and some final instructions and some warnings toward this, this church. And in our time, we don't usually think of preaching as a dangerous activity, at least not in this part of the world, perhaps due to, well, the legal protections that we have probably is the biggest reason. But there was a time when one could be publicly maimed or injured, even killed uh, for preaching Christ. You know, that's all over the pages of the New Testament. You know, Stephen being the, the first example of that in Acts chapter 7. And that's still the case in many parts of the world. And so this is a reminder for us as we think about this man asking for prayers. Do we pray for brethren and for preachers in those parts of the world, foreign parts where that's the daily reality, or at least it's it's more akin to what Paul experienced in the first century? Um do we pray that we might continue to enjoy peace here where we are without governmental interference or that fear of persecution or threats that would hinder doing the Lord's work? You know, Paul reminds Timothy of this in 1 Timothy 2. He says, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be offered for everyone. And then he says, for kings and all those in authority, so that we might lead tranquil and quiet lives and all godliness and dignity. So this was an important uh, and especially important point for Paul, it, it seems. This is what he desired. He didn't advocate no gospel writer, uh, and certainly not we don't find in the teachings of Christ any advocation for you know political uh, rebellion and uprisings or revolution of, of, a, of a physical worldly nature, but uh, we do find this instructions to pray for those who are in those positions, uh, political, governmental positions of leadership that are, that have authority to make laws. So this, this was one of his great concerns. And it wasn't that, and it wasn't just for the sake of peace, right? That's a wonderful blessing and we want and we, we enjoy that. And there's many other things we're able to enjoy because we have peace. But his primary interest was so that the word would advance uninhibited, that the gospel could be preached and preachers and Christians could be protected and, and uh, you know, by, by civil laws even. So the local church in Thessalonica as we have seen in previous studies, they experienced the brutality of wicked and evil men firsthand. So they, you know, would have specific examples in mind as Paul is writing to them. Because when he was there, remember in Acts 17, he's like in many places, he's eventually run out of town. Yet they continued in faithfulness to the extent that Paul said, 
we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we commend. That's what he says in verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 3. Uh, so he had confidence that they would pray, and not only pray, but that they would actually continue to do the work where they were in the midst of all that persecution. You know, who knows how much longer Christians will enjoy civil and social protections in this part of the world. And when the day comes that we or our children or grandchildren have to risk our lives daily to follow Christ, would the apostle have the same confidence in us? Right? Because that is their daily reality. And he's saying, but I have confidence in you that you're going to keep doing what God has commanded. Uh, would he have confidence in us? You know, we have every reason to be steadfast. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one, Paul says in verse 3. And that's why Paul is, you know, so confident in these, in these brethren. While they could have confidence because of the Lord's faithfulness, that he will strengthen and ultimately protect us from the evil one. Though we are at war, our enemy is wicked and malicious as he's described in, in the New Testament in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. But we can take comfort in that promise that God will strengthen and protect us no matter how difficult the trial or strong the temptation. Our God is stronger and he limits the power of the evil one. He is faithful. You know, when Jesus is addressing um, the church in Second Thessalonians, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 2, um, if memory serves, in verse 10, he says, I, I, some of you are about to undergo a severe trial that will last for 10 days, and some of you will be put in prison and put to death. Um, he says, put in prison, but then he goes on to say, but be faithful until death or unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And I think the implication of that is, is that over the course of the next 10 days, Obviously, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He's revealing it to his people, and he says, you're going to go to jail. And I think the implication of verse 10 that we so often quote, be faithful until death, is that some of those Christians were going to die in the course of that 10 days. But he's reminding them, reminding them of that promise on the cusp of these events happening. He's saying, if you just remain faithful to me, even if you die, I will give you the crown of life. He will not ultimately abandon us to the enemy. It may hurt here and now, and it may even cost us our lives. But ultimately, he will be true to his word. And he will strengthen us to endure during the assault. So we should continually offer, offer the same prayer that, that Paul did and that he requested of his brethren. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We have his wonderful example of steadfastness and what he endured and how he suffered. And we have the wonderful promise of God's love. And we have to remember that goodness and mercy each and every day. You know, faithful men have prayed for, for their own hearts to be steadfast since, you know, 
antiquity, I guess. You, you know, we, you find examples of that in the Psalms. You find examples of it in kings when when there were faithful kings who ruled. Uh, and that's the example of every godly individual we find. And so we can't be too proud to do the same is the point. We, we have this reminder in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest, lest he fall. Uh, so you see Solomon praying in 1 Kings 8, Lord, direct our hearts back to you. And, and David in Psalm 119 and verse 36, praying for his own heart to be inclined to, to God. And that's where we need help. And so we can't be too proud to ask for it. And some of Paul's final instructions include what must be done with regard to church discipline. Verse 6, as you continue reading there, he says, Now we commend you, brothers, or rather we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So, herein is a sobering reminder of a Christian's vulnerability yet yet again. And so remember, this is the same church that Paul had confidence in. And he says right there in verse four, I, I have confidence in you. You're going to, you're going to do this. Uh, and their faith was well known as he mentions in the first letter, first Thessalonians one, eight right there. He says, what's your reputation has gone forth out into the world. And they had suffered uh, for the sake of the gospel and were examples of love to all the churches. And Paul says he boasted about that. But this same church needed to prepare to discipline those among them who would not heed Paul's instructions. So for all the accolades and wonderful things that he says about these Christians in Thessalonica and, and, the exa- and all the ways that they were examples to other local churches around the world and had even... Uh, supported uh, Christians around the world who were in in need Uh, for everything they did right. It didn't take away the possibility of falling away. That still remained. And they needed to be ready to act. They would have to be on guard against those who walked in idleness. And when the, the time came, they would have to, as Paul says, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Uh, and so Paul goes for, so far as to say in verse 10, he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And that's, in, that's intense, right? That's, that is a, a big ultimatum. And that's one of the verses. I think many people might be surprised to find in the new Testament. Like what, if someone's unwilling to work, you don't shouldn't feed them. That doesn't seem quote Christian, Christ-like. Well, not by the world's standard of judgment and its conception of Christian, quote unquote. But this is this is the instruction that this is, and it's not extreme. But this is the you know if they if we think it is that's just human judgment of god's will this is how he would have his people discipline those among them who get lazy who refuse to work who are idle and the church in thessalonica was was uh, to to follow through on this just as as we must 
we don't we don't want to be enablers of people unwilling to work. The church in Thessalonica was right to be looking for the Lord's return, and and this may be related to this this issue, as Paul mentions earlier in the letter. Like he says, there's some just not some of you aren't doing any work. Like I guess part of this false teaching that it infiltrated that Jesus had already returned maybe had led to some discouragement or misconceptions about what these brethren were to be doing, and or maybe they were just using it all as an excuse not to work with their own hands and support themselves and their families. I don't know, but we know that the issue was whatever the cause, they were refusing to work, uh, neglecting what they should be doing. And so Paul had severe rebukes for these idle people. Uh, so we don't want to be guilty of enabling them is is the point. We don't want to be a party to their sin. And we can be if we, and we can and will be if we aren't careful. Uh, sometimes though we have to remember the best way to serve someone, as God says here, is to deny them what they want, including food. And this is a principle that, you know, goes back to uh, the Old Testament. Proverbs sixteen twenty six says, A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. So, you know, one of the incentives that we have to work is recognizing our you know bodily needs and needs the other physical needs of our families and and friends who might rely on us and so an undisciplined life leads to idleness and then to being a meddlesome busybody and engaged in things that we shouldn't be engaged in and so we should be thankful for the abundance of opportunities to work where we are in this part of the world and generally speaking, the affluence that we that we have. And so if we don't have a job, we need to, to seek one out. And being a Christian and anticipating heaven and waiting for the Lord's return and, and eagerly anticipating that doesn't mean you sit on your hands. There's still plenty to do here and and our vocations and you know going to school and going to going to work, those those are necessary. And those are also opportunities obviously to teach people. But being a Christian never means that uh, I should become idle, lazy in, in any regard. Uh, I need to provide for my own, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, that if a man does not provide for his own family or household, he's worse than an unbeliever. And Paul will say in verse 12 of 2 Thessalonians 3 here, he says, Make it your ambition to work in a quiet fashion, lead a quiet life. And you will find that as you as you busy yourself doing that, you'll be there'll be less opportunities, obviously, for idleness and and less opportunities for temptation to do things that are counterproductive. And it'll also create more opportunities to share with those who are in need. That's a point that he makes in Ephesians four twenty eight. And so as we seek to make these corrections in our own lives and also help others receive these instructions. This does not mean that Christians have a license to berate or be vindictive because look at what Paul says next in Second um, Thessalonians 3 verses 14 and 15. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them 
that he may be ashamed, and do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so he doesn't pull any punches punches with the corrections and, and admonitions that that he gives and, and what needs to be done here, given the error that's that's taken place or the bad attitudes that are that might begin to arise. But as those uh, rebukes are given, or any, or even as church discipline is exercised, as he's talking about here with drawing fellowship, it is to be done in in love. And you're not to regard, he says, regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And I believe that the point is, is that even though there's painful things that need to be said here, your your goal is to to win this person back. Your your goal is to restore fellowship that you had before. You know that you you want to expose sin so that ultimately it's it's owned up. You know so that people will recognize in humility what's happened and what they need to do to fix it and repent. Uh, so it's it's all done with the goal of winning the airing back to Christ. And as you speak the truth to to those in error, speaking the truth in love, it put, it's potentially going to drive them away. But that's not if you if you do it the right way, if it's done in love, and they ultimately reject it, that's not your fault. Uh, you know, you're not responsible for the the choice that they make any more than Jesus was for the, all the people who rejected him or the apostles or all the people that rejected their message wasn't their fault. And Paul concludes here by saying in verse 16, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. And so this is a prayer. That's a request to do uh, what is necessary to find peace in God. And that's a, a critical point to to end on if I would, and as we've said throughout this series, if I would enjoy um, the peace of God and the comfort and all the spiritual blessings that come through Christ, um, I must, I must seek them. I must be about his business and exercising the disciplines that Paul names throughout these letters. And if you pay attention, he'll, the same formula works in, in the other epistles. So it's not just, I'm going to have peace and I'm going to have comfort and I'm going to have joy and it's just going to you know happen to me. No, those things are byproducts of doing what's necessary to find peace in God, to find comfort in God, to find joy in God. As you know, one example of this in another letter Philippians 4:9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul says, Put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And I think that's a, a good place to end our study today. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you would like to hear more of these, you can find find them on our website, find studies like this and some other materials that I think would be edifying at Leon Valley church.org and feel free to contact us at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thanks again.